0: The Flight Deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org podcast. Hello and welcome to the Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Often, the stories we tell about our artifacts are about the people who used them. Who flew that plane? Who wore that uniform? What did that spacecraft do? Etc. But for many of our artifacts, the story of how we got them in the first place is just as interesting in its own right. And that's sure true for the museum's MiG-21 which we acquired in the early 1990s as the Soviet empire dissolved thanks to a fortuitous visit to the newly born Czech Republic by Boeing executive Jim Blue. I caught up with Bruce Florsheim, a former Boeing employee himself and current docent and researcher at the Museum of Flight, to learn the story. Bruce, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. And we can tell that you're qualified to have this conversation about the MiG-21 and how we got it. I'm holding here a copy of the certificate you got. You are part of the MiG-21 acquisition team.
1: Yeah, I'm very proud of that certificate. Although it's now 25 years old, (laughs) uh, I still keep it.
0: That's that's pretty fantastic. I look forward to hearing this story. So before we get into the story of the museum's MiG-21, why don't you give a little background about this? It's a Soviet fighter plane.
1: Without a doubt, the MiG-21 is one of the most famous military aircraft in the world. Few share the same level of name recognition. The Spitfire in Great Britain, the Mirage in France, and the Flying Fortress in the United States. And that's about all. Mm -hmm. In its time, the MiG-21 became the most produced supersonic jet in aviation history and the most produced combat aircraft since World War II. Even in World War II, no other aircraft has had as many versions, more than 30, and no other aircraft has been operated by as many countries, 49, and no other aircraft has found itself in as many armed conflicts around the globe. Versions of the MiG-21 set 17 world records.
0: Wow. What does MiG stand for, for those who might not
1: know? MiG stands for Mikoyan Gurevich, the Soviet Design and Construction Bureau Founded by designers Artyom Mikoyan and Mikhail Gurvich in 1939, MiG builds only fighters. The MiG 21 was designed in response to post Korean War needs for a short range interceptor and light strike fighter. On February 14, 1955, the first of more than 11,000 MiG 21s made its maiden flight and continued in production until 1987. For those who like numbers, 10,645 were produced in the USSR at three factories in Moscow, Gorky, and Tbilisi. Additionally, 657 were built in India and about 200 in Czechoslovakia. The Chinese built over 2,400 copies of the MiG-21, which China designated the F-7. I didn't know
0: India manufactured these. Yes. How, How did that come about?
1: Uh, due to license, we were in uh, competition at that time uh, with the Soviet Union, and India had to make a decision between the U.S. and uh, the Russians, and they decided to uh, pick the Russians, pick then, the right? Russians to develop, help develop their aerospace industry. Huh. Now, the MiG-21 carried the NATO codename Fishbed, but it was popularly named Balalaika, from the aircraft's planned view resemblance to the Russian string musical instrument of that name. Soviet fighters like the MiG-21 are designed and built differently from their Western counterparts. American fighters like the F-4 Phantom are large, sophisticated, two-engine, two-person aircraft designed to carry out many different missions. The MiG aircraft, on the other hand, are relatively small defensive fighters built with traditional materials and simple manufacturing.
0: So U.S. planes were more specific and specialized. The MiG was more basic. Why make the That decision, why make it such a basic plane?
1: The Soviets felt that they could build more airplanes more quickly, inexpensively. In combat, MiGs are tough, rugged airplanes that can operate from unprepared fields with minimum logistic support and can be maintained simply by basically unskilled labor.
0: What was the MiG-21 like in combat?
1: Well, during the early stages of the Vietnam War, the North Vietnamese controllers would position MiGs in ambush stations and make fast and deadly single-pass attacks. In December 1966 alone, MiG-21 pilots shot down 14 F-105s without any losses. Wow. These heavy losses of aircraft and cruised over Vietnam led to the creation of the Navy Fighter Weapons School at Miramar, California, the weapons school you know as Top Gun. Also in Vietnam, two MiG-21s were shot down by B-52 tail gunners. They were the only confirmed air-to-air kills made by the B-52. Both actions occurred in 1972 during Operation Linebacker two.
0: Do you happen to know if our B-52 was one no, of those? No, it was,
1: it was not our, our particular B-52, but it's sister ships to it.
0: Right. Well, if only two out of the many, many B-52s. It's not a surprise. Now, which version of the MiG-21? You said there were over 40... MIG varieties? Over, over 30 variants. Which version of the MIG-21 do we
1: have? In the Ours Missouri? is a MIG-21 PFM. P designates Perik Vachik, which means interceptor. F designates Farserovani, uprated. And M designates Modernizerovani, modernized. What does uprated mean? Uh, It was given better engines and upgraded avionics and communication gear. Our MiG-21 PFM was built for export in the Zanayev Truda factory in Moscow in 1967. Now, the MiG-21 was Russia's first operational fighter, capable of speeds in excess of Mach 2. Our MiG-21 PFM has a top speed of 1,352 miles an hour, a ceiling of just under 61,000 feet, and a maximum range of just over a thousand miles.
0: So our plane started life in Moscow. How does it end up at the Museum of Flight? How did we acquire a Soviet MiG-21? In 1996, right?
1: 1994.
0: 1994. Yeah. Even more of an interesting <laughs> story, how we got a Russian plane in 1994.
1: Well, first, a special thanks to John Little, the assistant curator and research team leader at the Museum of Flight, for his help with this story. Now, it was the end of the Cold War, and the Berlin Wall had fallen. A Boeing vice president named Jim Blue was on a business trip to Eastern Europe. At Aerovodokhodi, the largest aircraft manufacturer in the Czech Republic, Jim spotted 69 MiG-21 fighters sitting under tarps outside the aero factory. Jim asked his host, well, what's going to become of these airplanes? The Cold War is over. You don't need them anymore. The host said, well, they're designated to be scrapped. Now, Jim, who was a trustee of the Museum of Flight, thought it would be a great aircraft to have in Seattle. So he asked his host if the Czechs would be, consider selling one of these MiG-21s to the museum. The Czechs declined, saying, no, not possible, top secret. <laughs> but Jim kept badgering them. Finally, the Czechs conceded they might be able to sell a MiG-21 to the Museum of Flight, but announced that the price would be 15000 U.S. dollars a figure that the Czechs thought would stop Jim dead in his tracks and shut him up for good. <laughs> Instead, Jim pulled out his personal checkbook and wrote the checks a check for $15,000. He was now the proud owner of a Russian Big 21.
0: So what happened next?
1: Well, back in Seattle, about two weeks later, Jim got a telephone call from the Czechs informing him that they had given him the wrong price. Fearing that the checks were going to add a zero or two to the price, Jim was stunned to hear that the correct price was only $10,000 U.S. (laughs) dollars. Not only that, but Arrow would include a Tomansky turbojet engine that had just been overhauled to zero-time status. In short, Jim would get a zero-time fighter airframe with a zero-time engine and get a $5,000 refund. (laughs) But there was a problem. As I mentioned, the MiG-21 has a maximum range of about 1,000 miles. There was no way to have that airplane flown to Seattle unless you happened to have a Russian refueling airplane. And Jim didn't have one of those.
0: Yeah, it might be a bit bit more zeros. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Now, Boeing test pilots thought that they had a way to fly the MiG to Seattle, but it was deemed so risky that the insurance costs would make it prohibitively expensive. So the airplane had to be disassembled, put into crates, put aboard a ship— taken through the Panama Canal, then up the west coast to the port of Seattle. From there, it had to be trucked to the Museum of Flight and reassembled. Now, that would cost tens of thousands of dollars more. Jim was a rich guy, but not that rich. So Jim called in his friends in, in the Boeing Management Association, and we helped raise the money. A special shout-out to Del Hoffman, Bob Bogash, and the Jim Blue MiG-21 acquisition team.
0: Of which you are a member.
1: Yes, Now, in appreciation for all the business that Boeing had given them over the years, the shipper, Schenker International, graciously donated the $35,000 shipping cost. And some of that money was then used so that they could bring two mechanics from Aero Vodokhodi to Seattle to do the reassembly work. the, The two mechanics who came over from the Czech Republic... When they were finished reassembling the airplane, Boeing people decided to take them on a deep-sea fishing trip. On their way to the fishing grounds, uh, they stopped off to get some snacks and and, and some suntan lotion at a uh, local QFC. They were utterly amazed at what was in the QFC, and they were convinced this was a show (laughs) store, Potemkin Village, that was put up just for them. So instead of going on the fishing trip, they spent the rest of the afternoon going around and being shown other QFCs that had all of these wonderful goods. You get so much toilet paper on the shelves that they just things they couldn't get in the Czech Republic. They were amazed. And the other thing was Jim Blue. Everyone has a Jim Blue story. Jim was a great storyteller. And my favorite was when he took over as head of Boeing's first used airplane division. Jim and his team worked hard and long and they'd sold their first airplane. They went to a local rent and hotel pub, uh, bar, to celebrate, and they were p- feeling pretty good. The next morning, they get a phone call from the buyer, very irate. What do you mean you cashed my check already? There's not enough money in the account to, ca- to cover it. So Jim learned the hard way that the sale is not over until the money it's changes money. hands.
0: It's in the bank <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and today, when you deliver a Boeing airplane to the customer, there you go over all the details, dot the I's, cross the T's, and only when there's a telephone call between uh, the company and uh, the banks, then the money transfers, and only then is the airplane turned over. <laughs> a lesson learned from Jim Blue.
0: A lesson learned. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for your time and these fantastic stories today.
1: Again, my pleasure. Thank you for being here. Let me be here.
0: Thank you for joining me today on The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. You can visit our MiG-21 in person. It is part of our museum's exhibit titled Vietnam Divided, War Above Southeast Asia. You can also visit the aircraft's profile on our website at museumoflightorg podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our episodes and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can contact the show at podcast at museumoflight.org. Until next time, this is your host Sean Mobley saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks.